it's uncomfortable because it's happening much faster. Uh, you know, how long was the industrial revolution? Well, it wasn't 18 months. The investment is that cultural change in your people and mm-hmm. up, upskilling your workforce and rethinking the way you do business. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Future Ready Podcast, where we explore how to charge up your employee engagement in times of constant change. My name is Arne Kötting, founder of Cozin and your host. While some organizations are hesitant to spend time and resources on technology that is still very novel, early adopters are already making huge leaps in their AI journeys. Not only have these businesses understood AI's massive potential for productivity and innovation, but they also know that the path to AI integration can be rewarding in and of itself. To be clear, the transformation is not just about identifying and implementing the right AI tools for your business, because surely these might change very fast. Where the revolution truly lies is in educating your people on the importance of AI and how to use it properly. A culture of trust and curiosity is essential to thrive in a world where technology moves faster than ever before. Companies such as PwC are already reaping the benefits of these efforts. Six months ago, the company launched its very own chat PwC. With its global rollout still in progress, the business has since then been learning how to catalyze the value of such massive-scale tech change. This is why we invited Scott Likens, head of PwC's Innovation Hub, to the Future Ready podcast today. Working in tech since the internet became a thing, Scott is fascinated by emerging tech trends. And today we are excited to have him share what he has learned throughout his AI journey at PwC so far. Scott, before we start... Tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your background? And most importantly, why did you become fascinated by diving in what you call game-changing technologies? Yeah, great question. Uh, I actually uh, always wanted to be a pilot. I grew up wanting to fly. Uh, my grandfather flew. My my father flew for fun. And, and I thought it'd be just amazing to fly. So I went to, went to school to be a pilot. And for those of you that don't know, studying to be a pilot is quite expensive. You have to pay for that flight time to learn. So I was yeah. writing software on the side uh, or working in a software company uh, to pay for the flight school. So it was kind of a um, feeding into my my long term career, which I was what I thought I was going to do. It just so happened I was working at a company that built something called this internet browser, and I oh, said, "Wow, okay. I think this internet <laughs> thing could be big." I hate to date myself, but um, when was this? Yeah, <laughs> I hate to say it out loud. Early '90s. Um, those that remember or those that can research. Uh, in the early days, there was everyone knows Netscape. There was Mosaic, of course, and they both came out of the same same project uh, at the University of Illinois. So the founder of, of Spyglass, where I worked, uh, Tim, uh, stayed in the Chicagoland area, and then of course Mark Andreessen went west, and you know was mm-hmm. behind some of the, the amazing things that happened. But it, for me, it was all about I could see the future right in front of me. I knew this was going to be big, um, okay. and I was I was young, right? Very young, of course, very 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 young. But uh, <laughs> for me, I, I switched immediately. I was I was taking programming classes and software engineering classes anyway. So aeronautical engineering, you know, I, my meteorology class didn't translate, but um, a lot of the the engineering stuff did. So I, I switched over to computer science. I, I finished out my degree, and I, I already had this job that I loved. Um, that was in the mid '90s. Same time, we had sold that that as an SDK. Uh, so it went to um, big technology giants. Uh, one of them being mm-hmm. Microsoft, who created the Internet Explorer. Um, so for me, I saw, I saw this amazing technology just born in front of the world and I went all in. So, uh, started there and, and kind of chased that, uh, for the next, well, unfortunately to sell on 30 years, <laughs> nothing to be ashamed of. So 
your parents weren't uh, frustrated that you didn't become a pilot then? You know, they, they were supportive. Uh, you know, unfortunately, I grew up very poor. I had to pay for my college. So they, they said, you're right. to me. They supported it. Uh, I still, <laughs> I fly more than pilots now, just uh, in the back and not in the front. Uh, so I do, okay. I do love flying. I, you know, I, I just recently been thinking about, got to get back into it. There's a lot, right. a lot of innovation in flying with, with vertical takeoff, uh, kind of human drones and yeah. robo taxis. And, um, you know, so I, I, I know I will fly again uh, one day. Wow. Cool. So you just mentioned, you know, in the face of the intranet that barely emerged back in the 90s, then you just described this feeling, you knew it's, it's big and you have to be on this. Do you have the same feeling now with AI? I've been re-energized. I, I tell people that seeing what's happening in front of us, the pace is unlike what we saw. If we, if we really recollect, it took a decade so most people knew about the internet in the mid 90s. It was around, obviously, mm -hmm. before that in green screens and, you know, universities and, of course, um, military and, and government. So the internet was was there, but not a lot of people knew. In the mid 90s, it started to to be more mainstream. And by the end of the 90s, obviously, we had the, the dot-com boom uh, of 2000s uh, and the bust. And then the the, the reconfiguration. So the, the Web 1, the Web 2, mm -hmm. and now kind of edging into the Web 3. So just amazing to see it happen. But I'd say the last 24 months, the pace feels different to me. And um, of course, I'm always an evangelist. I'm always tech first. I'm an accelerationist. Go faster. AI is moving faster than I've seen technology mm -hmm. move. You know, you, you think there's a bit of a perfect storm. There's a lot of grassroots innovation from an open source perspective. You know, students building things, uh, entrepreneurs mm -hmm. building things. There's also a massive, massive investment from the top. So there's billions or hundreds of billions coming in from the top of the technology companies. So they, they see opportunity. And then every mm -hmm. enterprise I work with, uh, they're, they're looking at this as an enabler, you know, a way to mm -hmm. extend the, the, the reach of their people, the, the ability to scale uh, faster. So I think it's a really mm -hmm. interesting place to be. In the early days of the internet, it was tough. I remember every conversation was, you're crazy. Why do we need an email mm -hmm. or a website? Or why would I ever, I'll never sell this insert sector product here mm -hmm. on the internet. Uh, we saw that those headwinds and it took a lot longer. So yeah, I, I think it feels different. I, I think there's quantifiable progress showing it's different. And the question is how, how long can we sustain it? I think uh, mathematically we're, we're starting to get to the point where we don't have enough compute. Uh, so that's, mm -hmm. that's pretty amazing. Uh, but that, so, that's, so you're thinking it's maybe a little bit too quick, too fast right now? Well, I worry, you know, sometimes uh, speed is the enemy of trust. You know, we go really fast and people, you know, want to slow down and, and make sure we're doing it right, which I, I agree with. Uh, so I don't know if it's too fast. Uh, I think there's kind of two ends of those that spectrum. Uh, people want to mm -hmm. go faster and break more things and people want to say slow down and do it mm -hmm. responsibly. You know, I'm probably in the, a little bit in the middle. I think we need to do it responsibly. I think we need to think about the societal impacts. But it's also exciting to see all the innovations coming off the side of what AI has done over the last probably mm -hmm. 18 months. Mm -hmm. You are out there in the internet um, quite actively and kind of educating also the larger public on, on AI and, and other disruptive technologies. Why is it important to you to, you know, educate the public? And what do you think also, which arguments do you think works and which arguments do you think are quite challenging to convey when you talk about AI in public sphere? AI is a complicated topic, and I always give respect. People have spent decades or their entire careers studying AI. 
whether it's getting your PhD and taking that forward, the mathematics and the, the complexities behind AI are tremendous. And there's people much smarter than me. So I think that's inherently part of the challenge of educating is demystifying how mm. it works, making people understand it's not magic, it's, it's math, but that they don't need to worry about that as long as we have the right people thinking about that math and um, doing the, the, the technology responsibly. So I think the demystification or the ability to explain it in somewhat more business terms is really important. And I think sometimes data scientists or very intelligent AI people try and explain how that math works. And a lot of people don't, uh, that takes a long time to understand. So I, mm. I try and keep it in, in, in business terms, um, in the outcome, uh, how this is going to help, how this is going to change things that are right in front of people. So uh, that's the technique I use. I, I think sometimes that works pretty well. Mm. And staying away from uh, the deep mathematics, but you right. have to understand some of it, right? Not ignore and just accept. And that's where people get distrustful. So it's a balance. I think it's the balance that's mm. important. And again, there's people now, much smarter than me that can go very deep, but yeah, you know, sure. to, to what end? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know that we are a um, communications agency and we are, we are helping organizations in transformations and communicating transformations. So this is quite important for us on what level of detail and complexity um, you engage people with to to ensure they follow and they are not they're leaning to the change and are not frightened uh, on, on on this one but but let's you just mentioned some of the myths let's debunk some of the myths what are the misconceptions about ai that businesses should be aware of i mean there is there's a lot like you know starting from a total replacement of human <laughs> workforce and all that so many myths. Uh, so work for, let's start with workforce. We're doing a study right now about jobs and AI, and we have half a billion job postings over the last decade or decade plus. So we're really looking at what, what AI has done to jobs. And I think we have to get away from this replacement theory and get into tasks will change in a good way. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. humans may not have to do as many tasks, but the job will you know, be, be similar. Uh, so I, I think understanding the true capabilities and the true limitations Of artificial intelligence, but also understanding it's a broad topic. Artificial intelligence is not one thing. It's like saying mm -hmm. the internet. The internet is a, a broad spectrum of technologies that all work very beautifully together. And we've gotten to the point where we just accept it. So I think mm -hmm. AI is a broad spectrum of techniques and technologies. So understanding that and then applying it into the right areas. My sense is also that the people think, now you talked about the different components of AI, with ChatGPT being so prominent now, I think there is another misconception that this is AI. Right. Uh, exactly where I was going to go. The, the wave of Gen AI has consumed all the oxygen in the room that that is AI. And, and the mm -hmm. reality is there's probably seven decades of AI research. Exactly. And there's many other techniques that are much more uh, useful in businesses to do predictions or simulations or mm -hmm. create digital twins. Uh, and Gen AI doesn't do any of those things. It may support mm -hmm. that. And, and what mm -hmm. Gen AI did was lower effectively the barrier to zero to use AI. I, can, mm -hmm. I, I as a human can just talk the way I'm used to talking in, in natural language, in any language, and interact with an AI. So that that's the difference. Whereas a, a machine learning model, I need a data scientist or maybe mm -hmm. someone who understands the programming of it, the mathematics of it, it's very complex. 
So the, mm-hmm. the barrier is lowered, but it doesn't solve all problems. You know, mm-hmm. generative, generative AI is good at summarizing and transforming and augmenting and retrieving information you know, in, in text and language. Now we're seeing much more in, in voice and, and visual and, and video, and it continues to grow. But those are only certain aspects mm-hmm. of any business. So we mm-hmm. have to really, I think, contain Gen AI in, in what it's very valuable in, uh, in helping with. And then there's a broad spectrum of other AI. And, and I don't want to forget that. Uh, mm. You know, I, I think there's been amazing progress there that almost got lost over the last 18 months, which is a shame. Yeah. And how good do you think our organizations, especially people on the very top, in have a good maturity of what AI is in its um, holistic aspect? Interesting over the last 12 months, the amount of very senior conversations about AI and, and emerging talking about topics like AI for a long time, we published something called the Essential Eight, which was the eight emerging technologies that mattered. AI was was number mm-hmm. one, and that was like that was eight years ago. So we've we've been trying to break into the, the the top level, senior executive, board level directors. Last year, it happened. So to your question, there was probably a lot less understanding than people thought. You know, they they were trusting mm-hmm. their teams to to really use it and understand it, but then instantly there was a desire for everyone to understand it, which was great. We were able mm-hmm. to to really we went through this what I think of as this educational wave. We went in and talked mm-hmm. to executives about not only Gen AI but AI, and that pulled through this whole technology idea. And there was a lot of interest. Mm-hmm. I'd say about mid and late last year there was a, an experimental wave where they were then whether it was because of board pressure or competitive pressure, mm-hmm. they were experimenting with Gen AI for sure. Again, mm-hmm. that pulls through the rest of AI because it's a, a very adjacent, you know, technologies mm-hmm. and the same teams mm-hmm. could help. But it did flip a little of the operating models on their side. With machine learning, we can embed it into businesses or in IT in different areas. With generative AI, we, we have one model now that we have to govern and, and create a responsible framework around. And we, you know, we had to think about that differently. So the, the conversation was with senior leaders again, and, and that really, mm-hmm. I think, helped educate through that experimentation. To your earlier mm-hmm. question, one of the techniques I always used at the most senior levels was showing it in action. So mm-hmm. you can talk about the concepts. They want to know the use case, which I really stay away from because that's too too detailed. I show the tools and, and I challenge them to mm-hmm. say, what's a core part of your business? Let's see how the AI reacts. And that always was a light bulb moment, showing them in their mm-hmm. terms, in their business, whatever sector it is, that always brought it to life. So I think the education rapidly happened last year. So I don't think there's an executive mm-hmm. out there that doesn't know Gen AI you know, at, a, at a high level, oh, no. which is great. And two years ago, yeah. if you asked about machine learning, they'd say, yeah, we have a team that does that. But they probably didn't have it infused in their strategy. So it's been a great transformation. But when you generally see the, not only on the top floor, the level of engagement with AI or with ChatGPT uh, in this context or these tools... I don't know, at least the studies I saw recently is that this level of maturity and the engagement with this technology is relatively low. And it seems that the higher you are in the rank, the more you engage in the topic as it should be. The lower you are, you, you know, maybe not try to immerse into this complicated topic. First of all, is this observation still correct? that there is a hierarchical 
difference in the sense of how much people immerse into this technology. And the second question is the very complexity of the topic that you addressed at the very beginning, the blocker to really connect people to this because they, oh, they're just overwhelmed. So on the first, first part, we're, we're studying that now. So I don't want to say I have quantified data. I can look at what we've done at our firm without sharing you know, things that aren't necessarily public. As, as client zero, we rolled this out quite aggressively. And I'd say it was mm -hmm. a challenge in the beginning to get consistent use. And that goes to your second question. It's complex. The, the basics of write me a poem or give mm -hmm. me a recipe, that's, that's very easy. But to mm -hmm. use this intelligently, you have to understand prompting to some degree. And I, I don't believe everyone has to be a prompt engineer. So in our tool, we, we created a way to walk you through making a good prompt so that you get good mm -hmm. information out. So there's a little bit of that learning process that I think that the masses within big enterprises or even small enterprises, they have to get over that hurdle of the, the basics are fun, but then that just kind of goes away. So you don't get mm -hmm. the actual efficiencies in use. Once you get over that hurdle, then, then everyone starts to see the value day to day of really taking away tasks you didn't want to do anyway. And, and, mm -hmm. and letting the humans focus on, you know, the decisions they should be making versus the monotonous work to get to the decision. And that mm -hmm. takes time. That education, experiment, enable, that takes time and it takes investment. And that's where I think people thought this was going to be easy because it's so simple to okay. interact with. It's, it, it is and it's simple to interact with, but it takes investment in your people to upskill the workforce. So we've been focused on that uh, very maniacally, very well engineered upskilling, mm. we call my AI, bringing everyone along. So everyone in the firm. And, and again, that's just our client zero story. We're going to study this with different sectors, different industries. So, it, so we should have some, some data on that. But it's so new, right? I mean, a lot of, a lot of this has been rolled out in, the, in months, not years. We need some time to see that, how that cultural change happens. And there's other patterns to look at. We've gone through these technology uh, upgrades. So when the cloud came in, we, we moved mm. over the you know over decades into the cloud, mm. maybe 10, 15 years. Sure. It's happened. This is just happening much faster. So you know, you're asking me this question when this technology is barely six months old in most enterprises, mm. and and we're 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 asking why isn't it going faster? So that that's the the uniqueness of this of this pace. It's going mm. so fast. We want it to go faster. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's interesting to watch. Super interesting. And so you refer to your own tool. I, I assume this is the Chat um, PWC tool. That is pretty cool. So you have created your own Chat PWC tool for your global workforce. That's right. Yeah, we, we of course, work with a hyperscaler to roll that out globally. And, and we right. enabled, uh, right now, open AI models. At, at the time, this was not out of the box from anyone. So we, we felt okay. like we needed to build a secure private instance that would enable right. our people to use it with no, um, no worry that something could leak out, that we could protect what they're doing. Uh, and and we, we started that actually last, or I think last March. So we're, we're almost a year into that. Now, the world okay. has changed, right? There's other mm -hmm. options that get, get you mm -hmm. closer, but... For us, it was all about being responsible and protecting, but enabling our people to use it. And we've, mm -hmm. been, we've been rolling that out globally. Now, the reality is there's different capabilities available in different areas of the world because mm -hmm. the, the technology is moving so fast. Uh, so we have to intelligently design an architecture that allows our people to have access to the, the most cutting edge, mm -hmm. but create a responsible, protected way to use it. So right now, chapter is, is is the way we're doing that to enable access to large language models. But then also 
creating what we call plugins. So things that are very specific to our business that no mm-hmm. no vendors is going to have off the shelf, and, uh-huh. and that enables our people to do their work better uh, daily, you know, day to day. And and what were the reasons for you to create an AI powered uh, employee solution or employee chat? Well, we, we we saw the power and and the opportunity. We knew people wanted to use it, and we didn't want you know our employees going out to use open models mm-hmm. in the public internet. So there was you know really no other option. Again, a year ago than mm-hmm. putting it together ourselves. Uh, and that also helped us learn what worked and what didn't and demystify. It doesn't mm-hmm. solve every problem and it's hard. So now we can help our clients think through that. And again, since then, there's been much, uh, much more innovation. There's more models, there's more approaches, there's more infrastructure. There's, there's more techniques to get at better data, more precise. So we continue to evolve that and that helps us then advise our clients on what to do. Mm-hmm. And in the light, you mentioned, um, and tribute and big respect for PwC for starting so early on the journey. I guess most companies have waited and waited until to see what's coming up. Obviously, now you mentioned technology has changed so fast. OpenAI has brought up the corporate solution and obviously also Microsoft with Copilot now embeds this right. into the daily apps. I guess, would you have in hindsight or would you have changed your approach now? So this is the exact question a lot of clients ask us every day. Should I wait? And so to yeah. me, it's build or wait. Because someone's going to build it. I think in this environment last year, or in the environment last year, it was absolutely the right decision. Yeah. If we would have waited today, if Agreed. we were talking, I'd probably be talking about our initial rollout. Whereas now we're, you know, we're globally rolled out, 100,000 plus users in a secure wow. way, in a secure way, wow. and enabling our people to do their work differently. So I don't think waiting was a good idea last year. This mm-hmm. year, I think it's even less of a good idea. There's even more options. The challenge mm-hmm. is there's so many options. And you know, I, there is no one answer. There's great options from different off-the-shelf providers. There's great mm-hmm. open source options for small and medium mm-hmm. businesses. Some of this stuff is available pretty much for free You know, in the sense of the starting point. The investment is that cultural change in your people, mm-hmm. up, upskilling your workforce, and rethinking the way you do business, transforming everything about your business versus just automating some um, initial use yeah. cases. You got me. That's my area of passion, obviously. Now, tell me about the, your company. How did you land this? How did you educate the people? How did you create this maturity with this? Because from what I see in companies often is, you know, now with Copilot releasing in many companies, it's like, IT opens Copilot and, and suddenly it's out there in the organization and people are a little bit overwhelmed. They don't know what to do with this. And, and So how did you manage to do this on this big scale? Yeah. So as I mentioned, the precision upskilling we designed, the team I think has done probably maybe the best in the world. Uh, this creation of a program around my AI is what we call it thinking about how we bring everyone along. And there's different levels mm-hmm. of understanding across an organization like ours. We do everything from accounting and tax, assurance, mm-hmm. uh, to strategy and technology. We're a very broad-skilled firm. So we really had to bring a, a training. It's not even training. It's it's really a cultural shift in, in where AI can mm-hmm. help people. And, and some mm-hmm. of that was things we created ourselves. So as you mentioned, we created a tool, which was important. But we also went to the to external sources. The the movement in this technology was so fast that we could never create content 
as fast as the technology was changing. So we used external sources and we used experts to help us along the way. But then we, we really focused on getting it into the hands of our people early and mm-hmm. in a protected, safe, responsible way and letting them really tell us how it can help them. So we've done this before. We, we did a massive upskilling around digital and technologies over the past probably five years. So we had mm-hmm. the facilities to get it out there, but we needed the content and techniques and tools. And that's where we, f- we focused early and we went all in. We announced a, a massive investment early last year, April of last year. And that helped us really create that momentum. And then with that, the clients were, were pulling us in. They wanted to know also. So that helped mm. the story. It of wasn't course. just internal. It wasn't just about mm. us you know, building our no. own cool thing. It was us helping our clients think through it and working with our clients almost you know, at the same pace, figuring it out. Mm-hmm. And that excitement has, has rolled through the past year. And I, mm-hmm. I see it continuing right? because there's so much value on the other side. There's so much mm-hmm. transformation. We can do our work differently. The headwind is it's uncomfortable, right? I know how to mm-hmm. do something. Why would I change it? So that's that, that headwind we're, we're fighting with, with our, you know, our, our progress. But I, I think it's great so far. So tell us a little bit about the value that this creates within your organization. So what are your learnings so far in what regard did it help your employees to do something faster, better? Do you have s- some numbers, stats, or anything that you can share? Yeah, the stats are hard because there's not a long time frame. So I can't tell you a mm-hmm. year of something has apples to apples comparison to last year because we're still in the, in the midst of the first year, right? Again, we're, mm-hmm. we're yeah. trying to get it quantified, uh, but I think the momentum is clear. And there's areas of every business that the first wave was making things more efficient so you could extend or scale your, your workforce. And we're going to publish a job study, and I can't give the stat yet. Uh, it's going to release in April. But it talks about AI filling a gap of, of workforce skills. So in certain areas, there's a lack of skills. So maybe you know AI can help there. It also talks about the wages. And, and I think there's some pretty good news in the sense of people that have AI skills, not AI developers. Of course, we know there was a crazy mm-hmm. war on talent, but if you're a lawyer or an accountant or a, a project manager with AI skills, what that does to your, your wages, which I think there's mm-hmm. some, some good news there. So there's a, a lot that we're starting to measure, but we'll have to look at the trend over time. It's also a weird economy, you know, the, the global macroeconomic issues we're seeing. So it's, it's hard to take the noise out. For us, we've seen a lot of upside and we're, you know, again, early, but in the the technology side of our business. So how do we do software engineering more efficiently and higher quality mm-hmm. by using tools to enhance that? How do we look at um, ser- uh, customer service with our clients to interact more effectively, more in a more human way? That, that's a no-brainer. And, and that's just mm-hmm. starting to roll out. We, we've always had these chatbots that were really not that great, not us, but you know, mm-hmm. like when, you're, when you're going interfacing with the chatbots, it's not that great. Now they're going to be amazing. And then mm-hmm. you add on top of that, human-like avatars, because we can generate through generative AI very natural human-looking avatars that are not real, but make people feel more comfortable. There, there's going to be massive upsides there. And we start to pick apart all the functions of a business. Where can we find efficiencies? That's great. But where can we find new ways to market, new product development, new ways to mm-hmm. do marketing and product pushes? It, research and development, that's another area. Mm-hmm. Anything in the regulated world that has tons of text and interaction, we can start mm-hmm. to optimize that. And for us, it was about giving our people really access to more intelligence at their fingertips. It was mm-hmm. instant. They could get to some information, whereas before we'd have to build 
maybe some very complicated system. It, it would mm-hmm. leapfrog over that. So we're looking at across our business, both how we run our business, but then how we work with our clients and serve the market and help them think about new ways to to transform what they're doing. And, you know, again, quantified numbers, hard to say right now without you know, multi-years of trend line, mm-hmm. but definitely, definitely seeing increases in productivity and quality, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, increases in uh, the turnaround time on research and development or regulated documents or policy gen- generation or interactions with government. All of that, it's going to be it's going to be amazing to see. I always give an example in my personal life. I have to uh, dealing with the county assessor on a, a, a land assessment. I had it mm-hmm. help me formulate a, a, a protest, <laughs> something that I didn't have time to do. It did it in a few seconds and it helped me. We're, we're mm-hmm. just going to see that throughout uh, our, our world. It seems that with the current models with um, ChatGPT, it's almost like you have your your student next to you, and it's it's up to you to brief her right, and then depending on how good your briefing is, the output of the work student of the intelligent work student is or or not. Actually, I I, I read recently that there is a hope that we become better managers by better prompting and and so that it also helps us to indeed manage our people better because we become more precise in explaining what we need and, and giving examples and all that but it's in 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 this now with you know digital assistance so you can train your ai models on a very specific thing say you say you know i i need a guy who's really really good on writing strategy and another guy is really really good on on copywriting or whatever. And then you say, okay, go into discussion, you both. And so they become a bit, a little bit more powerful and yet could be perceived as a little bit more frightening. So it's not the student anymore, but somebody who potentially is way smarter than you. <laughs> What do you think this will change in the way how people accept this new help on this helper? This is a cutting, cutting edge area and in an area that we're really excited about. So this autonomous agent, the ability to have, like you said, a very precision trained model that can interact with another model and then have effectively an autonomous AI system Mm -hmm. challenging itself. And that's going to be very uncomfortable for people because that is something people did before. But if you think about the efficiencies there, you know, we're, we're looking at all sorts of parts of our business. We have specific intellectual property that we can put into a very lightweight model and then interact with and, and make better over time, humans will be in the loop, but they're going to be in a different role. To your point, managing that or orchestrating that to some degree will be our, our role versus being part of some of those areas. Mm-hmm. But I do think some of those areas are, are areas we didn't want to do as humans. We want to take it up at the next level. So it'll help us evolve in the sense of what we're doing in the business and focusing on the strategy and the decisions and mm-hmm. orchestrating some of those very deep uh information areas and then we'll be more efficient at it but i, I think this is an area that's very cutting edge one year ago this didn't exist i, I forget exactly when some of these uh, autonomous uh agents were, were born but I, i don't i think it was mid spring or late spring so even mm-hmm. a year ago it didn't exist so a year from yeah. now what will we have that's the pace that people don't understand really didn't haven't seen that uh in, mm-hmm. in that scale and we continue to see it it continues to to grow because the the core technologies are easy to get there's so mm-hmm. much There's exactly. so much community around it. So uh, back to the earlier points, making sure there's responsibility built into those agents is so key now before we go too far down the line. 
and wiring in some of the, the guardrails, I think, is important. And that scenario, mm -hmm. we're, we're doing deep research. It's, there's a lot of opportunities there across every sector. Mm -hmm. So very exciting. You mentioned PwC's um, commitment and you really went all in with, I think, $1 billion investment in training of your own stuff. So last year, that there was a U.S. investment of, of a billion. That was right. beyond training. It was the tools. It was working with our clients. It was transforming our business. So a, a bunch of areas. Ah, okay. So what was the exactly the strategy then behind this training program, and what did it entail? Sure. So a pillar around our people. So I mentioned you mm -hmm. know putting putting everything together around raising the floor for everyone, bringing everyone along on this journey. That would take investment. Uh, that would take. You know, creating some tools, uh, creating the, the program itself, rolling it out. It was the number one was about our people. Second was with our clients. We, you know, we knew we need to make an investment to to help educate and experiment. So going out and co-creating with our clients that would take investment. Mm -hmm. uh, the third one was was around building trust in by design. So working with regulators, working with governments around the world, how can we make sure the responsible AI techniques, the responsible AI concepts, were built in from the beginning. And building our own capabilities to go understand how to assess and, and attest to what's happening in AI so that the trust by design in AI, that, mm -hmm. that took an investment. And then the last pillar was transforming ourselves as client zero, making an investment in everything we do internally, upgrading it to use these new tools like generative AI along with other mm -hmm. AI. Uh, but mm -hmm. we use the generative AI uh, wave to say, let's, let's invest in this for ourselves to transform what we're doing. So four big pillars and that that large number, we're a large firm. And that was really just a U.S. investment. And on the backs of that, okay. we announced a lot of other investments globally. So it's a, it's a larger number. And, you know, we're, we're, we're proud that we moved early because it's hard and it, and it takes that investment. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's kind of how we thought about it, the, the four different aspects of that. I mean, a lot has been said, you know, you touch base on trust and ethics also. Large language models I think everybody knows by now that they work through logical associations of most replicated outputs, like word after word after word. And, uh, and it's also a lot being said about that this approach is prone to bias replication. How do you ensure that the data quality is good and enhance also the decision-making that follows this data quality? Yeah, the million-dollar question. The bias concept and question is, is a really tough one. We think about responsible AI, bias is one aspect of it. There's a lot of other mm -hmm. things we have to think about. So the, the first layer we think about is the, the strategy and ethics around how we're going to use AI. We talk about AI being biased, but all systems are, if they're all using the same data, they're all going to have that, that data bias. Mm -hmm. So understanding the inputs and outputs, we're, we're doing a lot of work around, are there other technologies that can help us almost fortify uh, the future of AI? So can I authenticate training data sets using a blockchain? Can I authenticate models a different way? How do I assure and attest to what's happening in a model when we really as humans can't understand some of it? Some of that's unsolved. Some of that's where we're looking at regulation. Some of that's where we are using other techniques. Uh, so there's no one answer. Bias is something we live in as, as a society. So what we can do is put the guardrails up and communicate and collaborate on how to make AI, a, a better accretive technology overall, mm -hmm. we're not going to eliminate bias in data, uh, not, not at least in my lifetime. There's too much data. So we have to look at the models and, again, think about the layers of, of responsible AI from strategy and ethics of how we use it to the computations and math behind it. 
to the guardrails, controls, and, and governance we put around it. And there's some really well thought out frameworks out there, open source, very tangibly implemented, but it has to mm. be implemented. So we, if we ignore it, <laughs> the problem won't go mm. away. But if we're um, thinking about it intentionally and designing for responsible AI, I think we have a great path forward. doesn't mean we won't have issues, but I, I think everyone's aligned that we have to do it responsibly. And that's a big first step. How do you think the role of consultancies like yours, agencies like we are, will change in the light of all the information and wisdom in the world is just a prompt away, apparently? Allegedly, yeah. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> well, I maybe we'll, we'll pick apart, you know, is it wisdom or is it mathematically generated words that humans yeah. <laughs> interpret as wisdom? It's a massive shift in information jobs. And I think that's why it's top of mind and everyone's talking about it. But we've seen a shift in manufacturing jobs, agricultural jobs, mm. uh, you know, across the last hundred years, jobs have shifted massively because of technology. And now it's hitting information jobs. So it's not mm -hmm. surprising to me. It's uncomfortable because it's happening much faster. Uh, you know, how long was the industrial revolution? It, well, it wasn't 18 months. You know, it was definitely decades, but this is happening faster. So I think that's the difference, but it's not surprising. So I think jobs will change. And again, I go, go, go back to the tasks within jobs will change. So as a consultant, mm -hmm. I'm not going to do the same things two years from now. But honestly, if I look back 10 years ago, I did things very differently. And that's, I think the, the pace is different, not necessarily the transformation. You mentioned at the very beginning of our conversation that the biggest challenge when you started with chat PWC was this cultural shift, this mindset shift. Now, the people who are listening to this podcast are often head of corporate comms, head of organizational development. How do you see, how big do you see the role of comms teams, HR teams to lay the ground for this cultural change? And do you have any recommendations for them based on your own learnings in, in your own company? So I'll separate the two. I think comms is an area that I have a lot of conversations. In fact, a conference coming up next month just around comms and communications. It, it will change. But, but I, I believe just in such a, a good way Right. Being able to communicate more effectively, more personally, more empathetically to individuals, something we've always wanted to do. But at mm. scale, it's very hard. There's, there's mm. just not been a way to do that. But think now, the ability of a communicator to actually craft the perfect message, but then get it in any language, culturally, uh, appropriately communicated, even visually generating an interaction across any country and culture that just wasn't possible. That, that would take too much manual labor and back and forth. And, and so now we have this ability to communicate in a very different way. Now, one of my worries is how do we keep some of the, the uniqueness of those mm -hmm. cultures and languages when no one has to actually know them anymore? So how do we pass that on to generations? Does it, does it actually cause a hundred year problem? I don't know. But in the mm -hmm. short term for communications, I think there's so much upside to be a being able to connect with people as, as humans much better. We've always wanted to do that, I think, as communicators. Mm. And it's mm. it's a challenge because of scale. Mm. So, so huge upside. And that translates to marketing. It translates to internal and external comms, investor relations. All of that can be enabled in a much better way. Higher quality, more, more scale. 
mm-hmm. almost instantly for very little cost. That doesn't mean people go away in that, in that equation, right? That's, that's the key part. Mm-hmm. Now, on the HR side, I think we, we have to fundamentally think about our workforce differently, how we hire and retain, how we evaluate, how we train and upskill. All of that is going to change drastically, I think. And that goes all the way back to working with universities and colleges about the, tra- the curriculums that they're creating for students that feed into an organization that human capital uh, has to then accept and, and grow over time. All of that's changing because of technology much faster than we had imagined. And I think we have to adapt to that. And, and unfortunately, those systems are pretty slow changing systems from mm. university feeder into You're human right. capital and workforce. Those are things that take a long time to change, unfortunately. Mm. So I worry that we're not going to adapt. We had heard about you know, there was this gig economy wave and that was going to change everything. It never, re- we never really saw it take off maybe because of things that happened uh, in the world over the last three years, but this is happening. So we have to accept that and adapt to it. And if we don't, then, you know, it's at the detriment to the workforce, which will then inherently impact businesses over mm. time. So I worry more about that one. On the comp side, I'm obviously quite interested about it. And, and I totally echo with you on what you said in terms of the benefits of producing contents or translation stuff. like I recently saw this amazing um, AI technologies called the HeyGen, where you can you record yourself? And then suddenly, I mean, I was thinking about the good old CEO message that was used to be kind of recorded, then it was transcribed, then it was translated, then it was subtitled, then it was rendered, then it was sent out. And this dude was talking to his camera in English and boof, put German on it and in his own language with a perfect, I'm German, with a perfect perfect German yeah. accent, you couldn't notice the difference. What I know a German would tell me if, if, if it wasn't good, right? I mean, you, there's so much nuance to speaking German is, you know, there's nuance. To yeah. that. So that's, that's where I'm, imagine this podcast. Now anyone could listen in their own language yeah. and you don't have to do anything differently in the, in the generation of the content. And it does happen already with Spotify, with the big ticket podcasts. That's right. You can listen to them in, in, in Spanish and French and, and you hear, um, I don't know, um, Andrew Huberman in Spanish. And it's, and it's his voice. It's not it's a double of a Spanish speaker. Yeah, yeah. You know, think about the entertainment industry. The dub over is going to change because it'll be automated, but it'll be so much better for, for viewers. So more opportunity to, to gain an audience. That to me, that blends more than just AI. We need to get to the edge. We need to compute on demand. And that's where we have to innovate around processing. We have to innovate around the uh, ability to do this real time versus, mm-hmm. you know, later. And that's happening. You know, we're seeing massive innovation in, in compute. Uh, we're studying quantum computing and neuromorphic mm-hmm. computing, ways that we're going to get better uh interaction for AI for us as humans um, is it'll, it'll be done at the edge. So that, that's where I'm excited. It's triggering all mm-hmm. these other innovations because of the, the fast pace of, of the AI. We're getting the, the money flowing into other areas. But that's, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely great upside there. Yeah, coming to the other topics that fascinates you. And, um, but before that, another question on the comms. I'd like to hear your perspective on that. With content generation being so much easier I'm a little bit worried that we will be even increasing much more the contents that are, you know, hit, that are bombarded to people. And 
we increase much more the corporate white noise that you already have, like all the messages from Teams, intranet, emails, everything, white noise. And with everybody can who can produce content, how do we really make sure that you know what's really relevant is noticed? Ironically, AI. I already use AI to summarize meetings or emails or or think about an email you get with 15 forwards and read mm-hmm. replies. I don't read all of them anymore. I can have the AI summarize the action point for me. So that there will be this helper that mm-hmm. gets rid of all of that noise and gets to a signal. Now that the challenge, and again, if you understand in depth the mathematics, AI is kind of optimizing to an average, which is maybe not where I want to operate. I want to operate Mm -hmm. above average. So the human part of that is then lifting that up and making better decisions or, you know, a more creative opportunity or option. But the the ability to, you know, kind of source through that to um, interesting, tangible follow-ups, AI could do that for us. Interesting. Last question. Now that I'm sitting here with a head of PwC Innovation Hub, you're the person who can look into the future, obviously. Yeah. What trends and innovations are you excited about? What do the people who listen to this podcast needs to watch out for? Well, there's no doubt AI as a trend will con- continue to enhance and expand and will continue to experiment. I mentioned too that I'm very excited about the, the different forms of compute. Uh, if you're not following quantum computing, people will think about quantum crypto. Photography is the one that we're worried mm-hmm. about. Could quantum mm-hmm. change the world of, of security? You know, for sure. But I think in general, quantum is is breaking through some of the constraints of our silicone processing world. You know, I think people mm-hmm. felt like the cloud was infinite, and it's not. We're, we're seeing mm-hmm. challenges there, just producing enough silicone to build chips to do the compute we need. So AI is a little bit constrained already in the sense of access to compute. So maybe you know, long-term quantum computing could change the game, not for everything, but for certain aspects of AI. We're doing research now and seeing really positive uh, results already. Neuromorphic computing in general, so redesigning chips to work more, uh, basically more like our brain, but uh, they're going to work better for AI. You know, AI Mm -hmm. needs a certain pattern to create, you know, the intelligence it needs long-term. And then also, as I mentioned, computing at the edge, we can't, we just can't shrink you know, these chips down smaller and smaller and smaller and batteries are an issue. So we mm-hmm. have to rethink uh, the compute. So those are two. I continue to see advancements in spatial computing as the new the new fan- fancy word, but the, the synthetic reality ahead of us. So being able to generate synthetic uh, objects, people, avatars, uh, bringing large language, language models to life, synthetic reality, that blend of uh, augmented virtual reality, I think is going to continue to, to mature. Ironically, you know, the death of the metaverse, I think generative AI will reinvigorate uh, the some of the topics oh, yeah. of the metaverse. Being able to generate much more synthetic reality around us, the constraint on the metaverse was you needed humans to build all of these assets, mm-hmm. and that was just expensive and time-consuming. Well, that's gone. We can start to generate a lot of that. So I think, you know, we've, we published our essential aid. Uh, we, uh, eight years ago, we republished it this year. And uh, we, the two we added were, were neuromorphic computing and, and quantum. Um, we're also very excited about advanced robotics. We're seeing a lot of, of human-esque robotics uh, maturity and advancement. So integrating AI and, and physical robotic machines, uh, very, very interesting. 
neural interfaces, so breaking the pattern of keyboard and mouse and, and interacting nice. with technology directly. A little frightening. I mean, we have the Apple. Yeah, the, the, you got you know you got the release of that. Um, you know, everything about the way humans and computers interact is changing, which I think is great. You know, we we've been on keyboards and, and mice for 50 wow. years, and I think the next 50 is not about us and how fast not we anymore. can type. No. So we can't say the world of work and where we work and how we work in which environments we work would probably drastically change over the next 10 to 15 years with great challenges and and opportunities for corporate comms teams and hr teams to land this these transformations 100% 100% but if we look over the last 30 work has changed quite drastically the internet yeah, yeah. The internet didn't exist in, in business 30 years ago today. And we couldn't imagine a world without the internet in business. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. Scott, thank you so much for giving us a glance into the future. It was really fascinating. Good fun. How can people find out more about you, about your work? Obviously, following you on LinkedIn, and then we will include your LinkedIn profile. That's that's the best avenue for professional right. thoughts. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm on Twitter I, mostly as an observer to learn. That's uh, where I get my most mm -hmm. up-to-date technology information. Or I'm sorry, X. Uh, but yeah, LinkedIn's probably the best. Uh, Scott Likens. Perfect. Scott Likens. We will put this into the show notes. Thank you so much thank you. and have a great day. Hey there and thank you for listening to Future Ready. Future Ready is produced by Cozin, the employee activation agency on a mission to help employees make sense of change. Find out more at www.cozin.agency. And as always, if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review or forward this show to someone who you think will benefit from it. Thank you very much for this and until very soon. Thank you.